Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the professor, Greg Dooley, and the pundit, Steve Clark. Men, take the mic. That's right. It's the Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooley and Steve Clark. We're presented by Nick Hopwood, who's a certified financial planner, founder, and president of Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Greg, good to see you again. Great to see you, my man. We got to hang out a little bit and watch the game this weekend, so always good to see you in studio. Just a reminder, we thank you. We know this is the big podcast of the week. It is the Michigan versus Ohio State podcast. Please follow, review, and share with your friends. Maybe you'll even be mentioned on the podcast itself as you do. How many followers do we have across all our platforms? Over 500 now across all platforms. Over 50,000 plays now across all platforms. Another record in the last episode, Steve. Thank you. And we are available on the Autograph app. That is the uh, company's backed by Tom Brady and the app that collaborates all the best Michigan content. If you want to use it, you can see the link in the show notes. Use code PROFPUN. And also... You are uh, speaking at the U of M Club in Flint Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday the 21st. So that might coincide with what about the time you listen to this at the Redwood Steakhouse and Brewery. Steakhouse and Brewery. I've never been there, but those two words, Steve, I'm going to race up there. Probably get there early. I, I like steak and beer. So it's the U of M Club of Flint, and I heard they're like an awesome, awesome, very, very loyal group who show for these things. So if you're one of those people or you're in the area, come up and see it. Talk to a couple potential new sponsors, Steve. So we may have something like that coming down the road. And if you're interested, reach out to us, and we'll talk and see if you're a good fit. At mvictors.com. At mvictors on Twitter, or you can find me easily, mvictors.com, mail at mvictors, and I'm easy to find, Steve. So are you, though. Google the professor. Just, just, <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's right. That's it. Don't even need your name. Just the professor. That should work. On the podcast, we're going to preview the game and the matchup with Ohio State, as this edition may be one of the biggest in terms of rewards for the winner and the largest consequences for the loser, we'll explain. We'll share our insights on the investigation and the latest turn of events and a look around the Big Ten and nationally. But first, Michigan, the first football team in history to rack up 1,000 wins. It wasn't expected to be this close, but Michigan wins 31-24 to over Maryland, Greg. No, initial thoughts. Obviously, the 1,000-win thing, we're going to talk about the elephant in the room because, frankly, the, the whole investigation and the outcome this week and the about-face put a little damper on it, but... I love the what, what the athletic department did, some really cool things. The team had the little signs out. They got a special helmet sticker, obviously very historic. Those kind of things get people looking at milestone wins and things like that, and considering where their teams are. But a great win. Steve, what did you see on the field? The one thing I was curious about was what Maryland was going to bring to the table because Maryland looked like maybe the fourth best team in the Big Ten. They gave Ohio State a run in the first half in Columbus, and it was long enough to actually start thinking about what an Ohio State loss would mean, what it would mean for Maryland, how does this affect Michigan. It, that type of lead that Maryland had over Ohio State wasn't short-lived. Ohio State had an, a great second half, and everything went downhill for Maryland after that. But they had lost four games in a row. They barely beat Nebraska 13-10. to 10. And one of the things that I noticed was statistically – 
they look like they should be better. But there was always things that they were doing that prevented them from winning games. And they were losing close games. But why? Why are you losing a close game to Illinois at home? Why are you losing a close game to Northwestern on the road? And generally, I just kind of come to the conclusion because injuries is normally a part of their history. There weren't any injuries either. They just shoot themselves in the foot too much with a turnover, a sack, a penalty, whatever it does to prevent them. And that's kind of exactly what happened here. I mean, Maryland's offense could move the football. And for Michigan's defense, this is really the first time, I think, all season that Michigan played a really good quarterback in Talia Tungavailoa. They had four receivers that were all ranked in the top 25 in yardage. You could see how the way they played. They nickled and dimed you to death. And when you start getting caught a little cheating, Tali is going to throw one over the top and convert one. But when I watched that Nebraska game, they were doing all the same things they did against Michigan, but then they would do something to stumble their toe, to push them back or turn the ball over. Though I thought Michigan forced a lot of those turnovers in the fourth. They did. Michigan made the plays when they needed to. They really shut them down there in the fourth. I had that in my head when you said, hey, Maryland's just shoots himself in the foot, kind of waiting for it to happen. But frankly, like many of the people listening, and, and the announcers were kept going over and over again, this is finally their chance to get that signature win or that first win over a ranked team. And man, it felt like the hammer was going to come down. <laughs> I got to say, man. It was like yeah. a dam you were expecting to burst. Yeah. The defense gave up its points too. By the way, they gave up two touchdowns in the third quarter. They've never given up any points in the third quarter until that point. The defense was doing its job, but the offense for Michigan wasn't. It's like, how many times are you going to ask the defense to make a stop? Well, take a look at the big three series into the fourth quarter, which was led, of course, by the great punt by Tommy Doman, right, Greg? Describe that one for me. Well, I mean, the punt hit inside the half-yard line and spun back like a golf shot, like Mm -hmm. a great golf ball on a par three. And by the way, I can attest that Tommy Doman is a wonderful student-athlete. Okay. Um, may or may not have had Mr. Doman in a couple of my classes before. <laughs> um, I was so happy to see that. And yeah, we made those big plays, but that meant a lot to pin them back. And we can talk about the win. The win was knocking the ball off of the tee. They were against the wind in that end zone, pinned back, and we took advantage of it. And we made the plays we needed to, but man, it was a little of a, a bit of a head scratcher, though. If you take the performance, the sum total of it, Steve, you know what I mean? Yeah, I I would disagree with anyone who says Michigan didn't flinch. This had upset written all over it. Michigan was getting predictable with a run. They were being shut down on first downs for getting off schedule. J.J. wasn't executing on the pass plays and made more than a few mistakes. The turnover right at half. Maryland then getting the ball back to start the second half and scoring right away. That's two unanswered touchdowns to put them right back in it. After Michigan had a 23-3 lead late in the first quarter, Maryland had all the momentum going for its side in the second half. The defense was getting picked apart, but Michigan overcame it. You know, you start with the Tommy Doman backspin punt. Then Mike Sainer still gets his picks, one in the third quarter. That was nearly a, a pick six for him, another one for him. Yeah, he rolled on the guy. You know, he was definitely down. I think his elbow was down, yes. but barely, again, to take it back. And people forget he was a wide receiver. It's it's one of the reasons he, he's able to make these great plays and then runs after catch. So remarkable by the captain. Then in the fourth quarter, the defense gave up the two touchdowns in the third, but the defense turning it around on Maryland's drives in the fourth quarter. The first one, 
It ended with Mason Graham and Brandon McGregor sack on third down, forcing a punt. Drive number two, Kenneth Grant with a sack on second down. Then on the following play, Mike Sainrisville's second interception ended that possession. And then on the third possession, Telly is called for intentional grounding resulting in a safety. I thought that was a little fortunate. on the. I, I, it was probably grounding. Some people show screenshots of it. There was a guy, though, you can cut out of your screenshot to the left. That was the closest receiver. <laughs> I looked like grounding, but I, in a home stadium, you know what I mean? I just wonder if we got a break there, Steve. That's- I was thinking that within the next 24 hours, as much as people have been, you know, arguing back and forth about Michigan's legitimacy, that there would be a whole bunch of video showing how referees didn't call intentional grounding for passes that were even further in disparity. And then the Michigan side would show video of games, NFL, college, or whatever, where intentional grounding was called yeah. with, with shorter distances. And we'd have this war, and everybody would go to great lengths to stick up for their own side. It was a judgment call, yeah. and, and it ended up working out for Michigan. Another one was the Mason Graham targeting call that was not called. They called a penalty they reviewed it for targeting, just like the call that didn't go against Maryland in the beginning of the game. On Roman Wilson in the first quarter. Yeah. And now, that, that play knocked Roman Wilson out of the game, which might also have to do with some of the troubles Michigan had in their passing game as well, but go on. The way I think that should be implemented and called, I think they did the right thing by not calling them targeting on both cases. It just is different, though, when you have a quarterback involved, which was Mason Graham, and it would have sucked to have him out because he would have been out for the first half of the Ohio game. So I'm glad. I think they did a good job with that. I think you're absolutely right, and I agree with the calls. What's odd to me, for years, the officials have been about the letter of the law, and there was a forcible blow to the head or neck area, and usually intent or what it looked like doesn't matter and they were just ruling with what the letter of the law said and kick everybody out i think on both of these occasions by the letter of the law they both would have been guilty and been been kicked out of the game on both sides but i think there was judgment there i mean you know roman wilson went down a little bit although you know if yeah. he, if he was standing straight up it wouldn't have been a blow to the head or neck area Mason Graham's situation, again, it didn't look like there was intent. And well, how can you judge intent? Well, I, I, I think I was able to tell intent on both sides on that issue. The referees just kind of saw it for what it was and decided to go play on. Now, the penalty still counted. They yes, were still called did. like a you know roughing the passer and an unnecessary roughness call. But it wasn't worthy enough to be kicked out of the game for and, him. And again, the first half of Ohio, and if you know that guy, he's a dervish, man. He's a whirling dervish, Graham, and that would have hurt to not have him in. Wreck-It Ralph. The, yes, Wreck-It Ralph. The thing they both did on their hits, though, is they did, it looked like they made contact with their shoulder first. I do think makes a big difference when the refs are going okay. So that was big. We talked about the wind a little bit. I do think it was tougher to move the ball from right to left, I guess, on your TV screen when Maryland was pinned deep. It was tough, and it did look like that ball, when Mikey picked it off, hung up there a little bit, and that helped us. He still made a hell of a play, though. He still caught it, timed it perfect, and made a really good turn and catch, which was a huge play. Yeah, and Talia had some balls that were right on the money, throwing in both directions. He Um, did. They said the wind was 13 miles an hour. Who knows what it's actually going on inside the stadium itself. I think it's important to point out that Sharon Moore is sort of gambling like Dan Campbell he is. on fourth down. And he I is. mean, especially the fourth and eight. Well, okay, but was that more about the wind? 
and their lack of confidence in the kicker, though, to kick that. I'm, I'm wondering, because that was strange. That yeah. is a story in itself. I mean, that would have been, what, a 43, 44-yard field goal. That's not an unreasonable distance to ask. I believe Turner's hit a 50-yarder uh, yeah. in the season Unless before. Unless you think the wind is gonna is, is, is really hurting you there. It was quite a gamble. 13, 13 miles an hour well, doesn't seem to be a whole lot. And, and then, then, of course, they you know decided not to kick it with even a shorter distance. And you talk about gambling – it is a little gambling to go for two points in the third quarter for a point that might have been yep. valuable later. Yep. <laughs> that, again, the, it seems more often than not, the early, you know, in quotes, it's all relative. It's all about the clock because you don't do that in the first quarter unless you're Fr- James Franklin, who did it in the second. <laughs> but you don't do it that early And it, if we would have had the extra point. As so. it turned out, though, Michigan was three for three on fourth downs. The fourth one, the one that was the most controversial decision, was a fourth and eight, and it was nullified for defensive pass interference. So, therefore, the play doesn't even count as a fourth down play. But Sharon went for it four times, yeah. gambling on it. And, of course, the last one was where Blake Corum barely got the first down, which needed a measurement. They had failed on third and two, and it was very close to failing on fourth and one. And there was, of course, a lot on the line. You don't, you miss out on that. Now Maryland's got the ball with good field position with a chance to win the game. But at the same time, we always lament when teams don't go for it in those situations that they punt it away and you're just basically begging the other team to win the game for them. It's easy to say as long as Michigan keeps converting on fourth down, these are great decisions. But when they don't is when when the fans turn. And in a Michigan-Ohio State atmosphere – I wouldn't be surprised if Sharon Moore goes for it again on several fourth down occasions. No, and I'll, and I'll say, you know, one tendency is it looks like JJ looks to either Loveland or Barner in those clutch situations, either third or fourth down. And by the way, Loveland made a couple great catches, a couple few in clutch situations, but that's his safety blanket is those guys. I'm sure Ohio State watched all that film. It's all on film, and maybe that's why some of the defenses are playing a little bit better against Michigan. I am a little concerned what the Michigan wide receiving looks like when Roman Wilson is not in the game. A lot more runs going up against passes. A couple of times they were thrown downfield and they weren't caught. And it does have me a concern that I think you need to do more than just run against Ohio State. So compared to last year's Illinois game, which preceded the game, which game was more tense, bigger throaties? The uh, Illinois game. Absolutely, because we needed to we needed to keep converting those those field goals and get the stop. And we were it, down. Yeah, I know it was brutal. It felt like it, but you're right. I agree. It was Illinois. <laughs> if that helps anybody as yeah. they're as they're trying to sort this out as heading into the week, we are going to preview the Ohio State game and meet a little bit about the Buckeyes and who they are and what they do well in just a little bit. But the elephant in the room conversation needs to come up, Greg. And in about face on Thursday, Michigan in a news release accepted Jim Harbaugh's suspension, wouldn't fight it in court. And something everyone at the University of Michigan was eager to do was to defend themselves and go to court. And something changed. And you felt and hoped that you could take the Michigan statement at face value that for the benefit of the students that this was going to remove the ongoing distractions. But 24 hours later, more turmoil. As linebackers coach Chris Partridge was fired by the University of Michigan's football team, the national media reporting it through their sources that it was because of tampering of evidence. 
I will point out that Sam Webb at the Michigan Insider said on the air during the Countdown to Kickoff, a show that we are both a part of, and on his website, that the MichiganInsider.com, that Partridge was, quote, advising others on the investigation. I talked to Sam specifically off the air about the discrepancy, and Sam's argument for what he said was pretty convincing. I'm not at liberty to discuss that in detail, and I don't have the opportunity to do it to ask other questions of how people are reporting it differently, but they are all kind of agreeing to their same of account about, you know, evidence tampering. Well, I mean, witness tampering or evidence tampering? Evidence he's tampering. Fi- I know, but he's fired. And yeah. so it was bad. He was tampering with the investigation, whether it was actual evidence or just with conversations, which it sounds like with student athletes, which is what I heard. You're gone. And compliance is in the room listening, I assume, in all these conversations. And it went quickly. And no, he's got to go. So... Brutal. But anyway, go ahead, Steve, because that's not it. No. (laughs) And look, there's more. Yeah. The news that a booster was paying for Connor Stallion's trips was revealed. Yes. I have a question. Is there a fan experience with Uncle T on the autograph app? Maybe you can pay, Steve, (laughs) and you can have a meet and greet, maybe have a beer or a cigar with Uncle T. No? Maybe not. No. Okay. Um, All right. Go ahead. He's not just a booster. He served on the board of Champion Circle. <laughs> That's right. One of the big NIL collectives for the university. Anymore, by the way. Yes, served. Go ahead. Served with a D. He's, he's been such removed from, from that board, as I understand it. I know that people were secretly hoping Uncle T stood for Tom Brady, but that is not the case. That would be awesome. Smith denies, <laughs> Smith denies any involvement, telling uh, Katie Strang from The Athletic that he feels he's being scapegoated. The end result is that the lone wolf operator theory that Stallions paid his own way to games, that Michigan fans and university decision makers were hoping for certainly got weakened. Having a booster funding the operation could possibly result in more violations. It wasn't a good week for the defense and for Michigan. Sadly, I believe the Fab Five referred to Ed Martin as Uncle Ed. So now we have Uncle T involved. No, it's not good. I did warn people to assume the worst with Connor Stallions and his involvement and people's involvement in assuming the worst didn't assume that say cover-ups and misinformation say internally would happen which it does seem that's what happened and that is the big problem here because what we had Steve fans are gonna support Michigan fans will be fans but we had a bold bold stance if you read the 10-page letter back to the Big Ten, telling them to pound sand. All the way up to Ono, Ward, the Regents, all signaled they knew the story behind the scenes. That's That was a big assumption we made, that yes, you can argue due process, which was the lead argument, but you don't put that kind of defiant stance on solely on due process if you don't maybe understand what the situation is behind the scenes, quietly or not, after you've done your own, you've, you've asked your questions and talked to people. It's just rough. So we thought the story was straight. I think a lot of us assumed that. That was the basis for all this defiance. And now it's crumbled. And so you can still be pissed at Petiti in the Big Ten and the way they acted. It does seem still like they were reckless in the way they went about th- this by talking to all the other teams. Of course, the other teams are going to say they hate Harbaugh. Now it gives more justification to how they acted in light of the scheming, alleged, okay, with Uncle T., but apparently with clearly with Chris Partridge not being forthright. 
So now you think about Harbaugh, because that's my question now. Like, where is Jim Harbaugh with all this? Was he okay with Chris Partridge being let go? Was he okay with taking the three-game suspension? I know what the statement says. Okay, was he really okay with it? Did he resist at all any of this? That's where my question is. And if Harbaugh wanted to feel the love, he was feeling it last week. When we went in the studio, Steve, I would have guessed that there was a high probability that Harbaugh would be back with a big contract. We're going to fight. We're going to go to the, do this thing on Friday. Harbaugh is going to be there on Friday to defend himself. And suddenly all of that unraveled. So I do wonder if Harbaugh, where he's at, does he feel the love? And I got to say, in this moment, I see Harbaugh's return and a contract back to Harbaugh almost unlikely. That's where I'm at. Now, you may disagree, man, but given the light of all this, a lot of the fans feel betrayed, and I do wonder where Harbaugh feels because it doesn't seem in his character just to lay down and go, whether you say it's for the student-athletes or not, it's really, a, I would say, a low probability that he was happy with everything we did here so abruptly in the about phase. He and, seems like more of a guy like, well, we said we're going to fight. Why don't we just see it out? You know, let's do the Friday Judge Judy thing, right? So <laughs> what do you think? I'm thinking he likes unconditional love. Yes, and this relationship where there seem to be less factions than ever before in the course of the last week resembles like a middle school relationship. <laughs> it's on and then it's sort of somewhat over. Now, the decision makers have fluctuated up and down with how they feel. Yeah, uh, I, they, I, they I, have. Some of them have been up and down quite a bit. And so what kind of wave of emotion goes on in a week that you either beat Ohio State or you lose to Ohio State? I think you lose to Ohio State. I wonder how many players on the team are going to even want to play the bowl at that point because you're talking about a record amount of players looking forward to going in the NFL draft and putting themselves in the best position possible. You're, of course, assuming we're not getting in the playoff like Ohio State did last year after losing to Michigan. As, as of right now, I am certain that if Michigan loses this game to Ohio State, they are not getting into the playoff. Yeah, now, I, I there, there can the... be a lot of win-loss results that could change my mind on that, but based by the number of teams that are still undefeated, based on the number of teams with one loss and have multiple wins over teams ranked in the top 10 or will have a conference championship, Michigan is a situation where they're not even playing for a conference championship title with only one win on its resume. Yeah, and, and that committee room is full and awards in there, but... It is full of human beings, and it wouldn't be unlikely if a couple of them in the back of their heads don't want to see Michigan in that playoff yeah. for, and, for all the reasons off the field. And just like in the Big Ten meeting, Ward has to leave the room. Like he you know, left the phone call, and the athletic directors and the coaches got all upset and, yeah. and changed everybody's mind. I mean, Ward has to leave the room when Michigan and right. the Big Ten So here's how the conversation goes. Right, right. So what are we going to tell Ward? <laughs> <laughs> like, how are we going to tell Ward that Michigan's not in? How are we going to say this? I think he yeah. walks back in the room and everybody sort of just crosses their arms and looks out the window. Oh, jeez. You know, I, I think, you know, take a look at, hey, it looks sunny outside. Yeah, and we'll talk a little more about the game, a little bit off the field. And really, what are the stakes here? What are the stakes involved in this game? That whistle means it's halftime here on The Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooley and Steve Clark. And joining us in studio right now is Nick Hopwood, the certified financial planner, founder, and president of Peak Wealth Management. Nick, great to see you again. Great to be here, Steve. Thank you. And Nick, a lot of people are coming from all across the country to spend maybe the entire weekend for Michigan, Ohio State. And one of the things we were curious about, real estate 
around Michigan Stadium. I have learned that some people have multiple dwellings around Michigan Stadium that they would either rent out or just as a getaway for something convenient when they're in town in Ann Arbor this weekend. Real estate still important in today's world of investing? Oh, absolutely. And I think what you're referring to could be you know, a regular rental where you have someone paying the bills 12 months of the year and then you're tailgating in the driveway or the yard. Or it could be an Airbnb set up around the stadium. There's a lot of opportunity for that. Personally, I have a lot of duplexes, which is your annual rentals. And I think it's great because it's a pension for me. How so? It's a pension for me because the tenants between now and retirement are paying off the mortgages. And then once the mortgages are paid off, I get into retirement. And now all of that income is free and clear as a pension for me without doing any work. Wow. So the individual acquires the real estate. The tenants pay for the mortgage, and then when the mortgage is complete, you get 100% of the rent. Well, if you want to know more about real estate investing, go to peakwm.com or call 734-681-7575. That's peakwm.com. Nick, thank you so much for being our guy, having our back. When we started this thing with barely a few followers and now have grown, thank you so much. Nick Hopwood, we really appreciate it in this historic season. And speaking of history again, Steve, we got to get back to the thousand wins. The athletic department, sometimes they contact me in these situations, right? Like, hey, Dooley, we're putting together a montage of the most significant wins in Michigan football history. Sometimes they talk to me, and they're in good hands because they have people at the Bentley Library like Greg Kinney, the archivist, and Brian Williams who know this stuff really well. So they put together the helmet sticker. They put together, they had signs ready, which is a jinx, by the way. We'll talk about jinxes in a second. They had signs ready, apparently. But they put together this video montage. Did you see this? Where they had, like, Fielding H.O.'s voice and, mm. you know, Eufer and, you know, over the years, like, these historic milestones. And it wasn't, like, win number 100. No. It was, like, 1887, win number whatever it was, 19 teaching Notre Dame how to play football. And then it was our first game at Ferry Field and the Michigan Stadium dedication game. It was like things like that. And then you guys know the more recent ones, touchdown Billy Taylor, Wayne Gorda Carter, you know, that kind of stuff. They did a really, really nice job. And I went through and I documented them all and I posted them like a nerd. And I just thought they did an awesome job. So hats off the athletic department. If there was one we missed... Well, you could argue this, but if there was one historic one, and maybe we just didn't want to rub it in, we didn't include us dedicating, in quotes, Ohio Stadium in 1922. So 101 years ago, (laughs) Michigan actually was the guest for the Ohio Stadium dedication game and won, I think, 19-0, kind of dominated them in their special day. They didn't mention that one, but maybe they just didn't want to. They didn't do like when we taught Ohio to, to the script Ohio and things like that. They didn't do those little rub it in. It was more like the first time we played Ohio. So there's yeah. a few times we've ruined their... We have. Each team has ruined each other's seasons. That's for sure. I mean, 95 and 96 certainly come in mind. Of course, Ohio State had an opportunity in 97 to return the favor and couldn't. The massive helmet sticker. You know, yeah. I still love the idea that you know the Roman numeral for 1,000 is M. We shared that last week. I mentioned that on the Countdown to Kickoff show. I got a little cheer at Monty's. Yes, it was very (laughs) cool to bring that up. I, of course, refer to you. I gave you credit. And then, of course, it comes out, hey, what's 1,001? That's M-I. 
Very good. Abbreviation for Michigan. So what they did was it's probably about, I don't know, four times, three times as big as the normal little helmet stickers, and they put it right over the wing on one side. (laughs) So if that's where it's staying, which I have to assume, it's going to look a little weird. So heads up, (laughs) brace yourself for that, okay? But remember, it's it's win number 1,000. They needed to do something special. I got to say, Steve, you had the pregame show for the Maryland game at Monty's. A bunch of people came out. Monty's is sweet. It's the old Banfield's east side off of Packard here in Ann Arbor. And, man, it's it was great. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, a lot of people that came by for a breakfast tailgate for a place that normally isn't open for breakfast. That's right. And so that was nice to see. We had people could come up and share with us during the show. And then we were there for a little bit of the game itself. And when those turnovers started happening in the first quarter, there was people, you know, standing next to us to put on their own turnover bus and took their own selfies, you know, and, yeah. and had us included in that as well. That, yeah, was, that was neat. So Steve and I left when it looked like the game was practically in hand. 20, 23 to 3 at the end of the first quarter. And it does make me wonder, Steve. Mm-hmm. As we're, you know, watching the game at home, like, should we have stayed? Like, <laughs> this is where the superstitions kick yes. in. So the most likely jinx or cooler is probably someone who hasn't been in a game in a super long time and went to the Maryland game in person. But right. if you are a person maybe who bought a new couch or a new chair and that's where you watch the game, you bought a new television set perhaps had a new piece of Michigan gear that you put on in the game for the first time. We have to advise you to get rid of all these things because in a little bit, I'm sorry, it's, it's, I'm, you can tell I'm like smiling as I'm saying this, but in the back of my head, Steve, did I take my jacket off and put it back on? Did I switch seats? I sure did. I don't know. Did you do any of that? Did I, I, I almost came back and scooped you up and said, you know, maybe we should go back to Monty's. I will admit, I have superstitions. I'm trying to slow that roll just a little bit in part because I started thinking to myself, wait a minute, so what you decide to do about where you sit, what clothes you wear, or how you lean, or what you do before a red zone situation dictates the fates of millions of people's enjoyment... What kind of ego do you right, have? That exactly. <laughs> but still. But still. I, <laughs> kind of a strange coincidence. I, I think the people who probably felt that way maybe the most were the people that brought all the 1,000 win oh paraphernalia with them to the sidelines. You know, the people that made them. I mean, it was probably made knowing that was going to happen. But the decision, who made the decision to say, take the signs with you and here we go and not be able to use them? Yeah, the best way to do that would have been to have the signs with the zeros on them. And then you have a one sticker somewhere else just in case. And you actually affix it after the game and then, you know, finish the sign. It's not done yet. But I, they must have been wondering Steve, we have we have a little. I asked, yeah, I asked you, are we going to Frazier's? Steve and I have gone to Frazier's Pub here in Arbor each Friday before the last two Ohio State games, and believe me, we went last year with full intention of repeating this ritual, and it worked again. And so I think we do have to go again this year. Yes, yeah, Steve's nodding. I think we, we need Absolutely to Absolutely, we yeah. have to go. Yeah. Because if they, if they lose and we don't go... We're going to blame ourselves. We are going to blame ourselves. So I wonder how many of you felt like you are the jinx or were the cooler. Of course, it worked out. I'd love to hear your stories. Let us know. That's that's called fandom. Yeah, that's part of the things that we're looking for in addition to to rating and reviewing the show. Share some of your insight from your own personal things (laughs) that we are discussing. 
We are going to talk about Ohio State, Michigan, and the matchup. Want to go through some Big Ten notes real quick. Uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes will represent the West in Indianapolis, where they will likely be crushed by either Michigan or Ohio State. Once again, the Hawkeyes' defense rose to the occasion while Caleb Johnson got a 30-yard TD run late in the game to get the come-from-behind touchdown win. Naturally, Iowa got the safety as well that was all important uh, in winning that game. Give them props, man. And Mrs. Steve Clark must be really happy, at least with them. They probably knows they don't have a great shot against Ohio or Michigan. But to get there says something. It is. Yeah. She's not going if Michigan goes. She just doesn't want to see 42-3 to happen all over again. So she is not going in, in any case. Wisconsin's season was set to implode, Greg. Uh, we didn't talk about it last week. After last week's lackluster effort, players rarely call each other out for their effort, but they did. And they trailed 14 to nothing at one point, but beat Nebraska 24 to 17 in overtime. On the Nebraska side, all Huskers, which is a part of Fan Nation, writes that they lost their last seven overtime games. And in their last six, they have failed to get a first wow. down in overtime, which also means they have not scored in their last six overtime games. The Cornhuskers currently are 5-6, and six, but they were once 5-3. and three. They now need a win over Iowa to secure bowl eligibility for the first time since the 2016 season. That, by the way, Greg, here's a trivia question. It is the longest streak among all Power 5 teams not to be going to a bowl. The longest uh, futility streak. Yeah, because yeah. there were several 5-5 five and five teams, right? right. And by the way, props to Northwestern. Mm -hmm. um, we weren't going to talk about them a lot here, but I got to say, man, respect. I know they named Coach Braun their, their full-time coach, so he will take over for Fitz. I got to say, one of the most unlikely stories, kind of a cool under-the-radar here <laughs> from being from here in Ann Arbor. Everything's under the radar now, but respect to my friend Dave Revson. My man who spoke in my <laughs> class and his beloved Wildcats, man. I mean, well, they started the season losing on the road 24-7, to I believe, to Rutgers, in which they, they weren't even in the ballgame. And that was their first game, and they just steadily have gotten better, and they put up enough of a winning streak, including beating Wisconsin and beating Maryland, two games that no one would ever have thought Northwestern would have won going into the year. But speaking of futility, there is Indiana's Tom Allen who chucked his coaching headset after losing to Michigan State. Why, Greg? Well, after Indiana was clutch on a late-scoring TD drive to retake the lead, MSU responded. And after tight end Malik Carr caught the ball at the IU 14-yard line, Indiana's defense, well, one particular defender, went for the kill shot instead of wrapping up for the tackle, forgetting that Malik Carr is 6'6 and 260. That tackler bounced right off of him like a preschool kid against Blake Corum. And MSU retakes the lead. IU has a chance to go for a long field goal that got longer after an intentional grounding penalty. That backed him up to make it a 48-yard field goal that went wide as well as Allen's headset. Wild. I saw everyone with the brass platoon replicas, which is what they play for. And I got to say, Steve, I want one of those brass platoons. I got, I do have a few of them, like the replica, the rivalry trophy mm -hmm. uh, company makes them. I got to have one of the platoons. They're cool. And I guess my, my brother told me 
that Indiana's never won two straight games against Michigan State in that rivalry. That's right. That's wild. That's you know, right. If you think about the jug, I mean, Minnesota had that for a decade, you yeah. know, in the 30s and 40s. That is wild. I, I want to get, like, a bigger one, like the actual – the rivalry trophy people put one on Twitter, but I guess that was a prototype for, for what they made. But I may get one and uh, add it to my collection. And that is the battle for the worst team in the Big Ten. <laughs> it uh, is. You know, Michigan State got two wins in, uh, in Big Ten Conference play. They're certainly not favored to win uh, against Penn State at Ford Field. But Indiana was 1-6 going into that game. And I look at the teams in the West. I mean, well, I guess Indiana's going to play Purdue to see who's the, who's the worst team in the Big Ten overall. National news, there were no upsets. But the big news, Florida State quarterback Jordan Travis had a season-ending injury in his lower leg. Not sure if it's an ankle, lower shin, whatever. The Seminoles were on the brink of making and now on the brink of missing their first college football playoff berth. They have two remaining games. One is against in-state rival Florida and then the ACC championship game against Louisville to finish the season undefeated. If they lose one of these two games, they're not going to make it. Florida starting quarterback Grant Mertz is, is also out for the year with a broken collarbone in the Missouri game just this past weekend. So it's a battle of backup quarterbacks in the in-state rivalry. But Louisville is a top-10 team. The question to you, Greg, is if Florida State finishes undefeated, will they still be denied a college football playoff berth? I doubt it. That just hasn't been really the history. But that would be something. It'd be yeah. extremely harsh if they did. Yeah. You know, in beating Louisville, you beat a top-10 team without Travis. But nobody is going to think that Florida State would win their semifinal game no matter who it would be against. And that kind of diminishes the excitement for a four-team playoff. Yeah, I don't think you can punish them, though, for losing their quarterback. Some people may see that. And again, these are human beings looking for the best four teams. Hopefully we're in that, we're in that conversation. All right, so now what everybody's been waiting for, the Michigan-Ohio State talk for this Saturday afternoon. Kickoff will be at noon. Everything is on the line. The ramifications for winning or losing is huge for not only both Michigan but for Ohio State as well. What's at stake? Well, for Michigan, they haven't won three in a row in this series since 1997. And to me, I'll say it again, this is a referendum game on Michigan's renaissance. And the season is likely over with a loss to Ohio State. Ohio State fans will feel convinced that they haven't lost to Michigan since 2011 if they have won that game they will have the momentum of how michigan ascended to their championships in 2021 the excuse is ready to uh, be you know put on the board and if they win that game then people are going to listen to ohio state not listen to what michigan has to say how do you feel well we're we're using the words like michigan and ohio state but these rivalries are about coaches and iconic coaches and this is about harbaugh's legacy he's the guy that turned it around the difference between, let's say this is his last season, beating Ohio State three times in a row or losing at home and kind of allowing the tables to return back in Ohio State's favor will be, one way or the other, a huge impact on his legacy, even though he's not on the sideline. I mean, to me, that doesn't matter. It's still Harbaugh's team. And it could, one way or the other, determine our next coach, whether that, if Sharon Moore, to his credit, if he's on the sideline when we win, I think most people will look at him as a candidate to replace Jim Harbaugh if it comes to that or when it comes to that. It will eventually. 
it's remarkable to me that we're going through this again, where both teams are undefeated for the second straight year. When we were looking at the schedule in early on in the podcast, I, I kind of figured we'd stumble somewhere along the way, but hopefully have a chance. Like, when would that 1,000 win come, right? Obviously, the early it possibly could have came was last week against Maryland. Here we are. You're starting to feel it right after the Maryland game. You started to see the tweets and the memes and the old great scenes from Buckeye Games lore, the funny things like Brutus the Buckeye getting undercut, Michigan Stadium, the banner tearing down, the David Boston and Charles Woodson going at it, the Marcus Ray hit, all that stuff. It's going to be a fun week, man. It's going to be wild. And I'm still getting used to this being, we have Thanksgiving this week. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we have, for those of us who are Lions fans, right, we, got, we had a big victory over the Bears this weekend. We got this huge game against the Pack. But that's like 2% of the interest and the hype that's going to happen this week. It's going to be nuts. And I, I do also wonder, the off-the-field stuff, are we kind of done? Are we, in, are we done with it for a little bit? You know I don't I mean? think so. Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't think so. But but on the other side, the consequences of Ohio State losing this game, Ryan Day will have lost three in a row to Michigan, and there would be no excuses this time. In year one, it was about the weather. In year two, it was about winning all the plays, except for the few big ones. This year, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh won't be on the sidelines, which an Ohio State loss would certainly look worse. There will be a contingent of fans that are prepared for whatever happens, though, if the Buckeyes lose. There will be many in denial that will say, see, this is the direct result of sign stealing. Look at the damage it's caused Ohio State. And then they'll say exactly the same thing if they win. So the national consensus will have a tendency to believe the Buckeyes if they win, but if they lose, their argument's going to sound silly. A lot of Ohio State fans wish Jim Harbaugh was on the sideline because they're so confident in their team winning mm. the game. They want to see the photo and put it in their basements of Ryan Day getting the congratulations from Jim Harbaugh at the 50-yard line when this is all said and done. That is not going to happen. He would take a brutal beating if they lose on Saturday, a brutal beating. And right. it's, it tells you how important it is to win that road game in this series because, man, if this game were down in Columbus, Steve, I assume we'd be underdogs. You know, Right now, the point spread to four for Michigan's That's favorite. That's too high. When I look at these two teams and the way they've been playing out throughout the course of the year, this is not the first time I've looked at Ohio State, but they're peaking right now. They're getting healthier on offense. Kyle McCord at the quarterback position isn't on the same level as C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins. He's a drop-back passer who has a hard time avoiding the rush if it gets there. His game-winning drive against Notre Dame, however, had to be a confidence booster for him because he needed to make all the right plays in a row for Ohio State to make that comeback, and he did. And unlike Penn State Drew Hour, Kyle McCord isn't afraid to throw the ball up into the air he just needs to throw it in the vicinity of Marvin Harrison Jr. No doubt. World-class, historic season. Marvin Harrison Jr. guys are amazing. It looked like McCord took a pretty bad hit in this last game, but it looks like he's okay. Yeah. I saw he did the post-game he, interview. He okay. continued to play on. All right. Yep. And there was something there. Now, you know, with J.J., we don't know how exactly healthy he is after taking that shot from Penn State. Not a legal shot or anything like that, but it, he was slow to get up and is J.J. McCarthy not being 100% because of an injury part of the reason why Michigan was running the ball so much in, in its last two games? I yeah, don't know. A that's a, that. that's yeah. just, well, you're not going to hear a lot of anything. But there's some speculation there. As far as Marvin Harrison Jr. goes, he's going to win the Bulletnikoff Award as the nation's best receiver, likely to be a top-five pick in the NFL draft, could even be higher. 
Michigan beat Penn State because of Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. The Buckeyes beat Penn State because of Marvin Harrison Jr. He had 162 yards and a touchdown. Omeka Ibuka is no slouch at the number two receiver. He missed three games in October. Doesn't have the same type of numbers this year as he did last year. This isn't exactly the same limitless receiver core in years past where they were six deep and all putting up huge numbers as soon as they get on the field. There is an upgrade, however, I think at tight end. Kate Stover is playing a lot like Colson Loveland has been, and he's really like the number two option for Kyle McCord right now. He's got 534 yards and five touchdowns. The running game last year for Ohio State hasn't been what they would like to see, and I think a lot of it has to do with their backs not being healthy. Last year, their top two were out for a while. Their top two were out again. Uh, Mayan Williams, their short yardage back last year, played against Penn State. He is out for the year. Travion Henderson, like Egbuka, missed most of October, but he's rushed for over 600 yards in his last five games that he's played. Henderson has racked up a lot of yards in the receiving game, too, so they're throwing to him out of the backfield like we thought we'd be throwing to Donovan Edwards a lot out of the backfield. Henderson has scored at least one touchdown in every game he's played except for the season opener, which comes to the big matchup. This is Ohio State's weakness, Greg, the offensive line. Mm. They've had to replace both tackles and their starting center, and the team has been susceptible to pass rushes throughout various teams that are good at it during the season. You saw Indiana was good at it. They were making some differences in that Ohio State offensive line, and Kyle McCord is not a guy who can escape the pocket. Notre Dame, another example of how average Ohio State's offensive line in this particular year compared to other years. If Michigan can get across that line of scrimmage, I think it's going to be a key. For you, Greg, broadly, where are you thinking defensively what Michigan must do to beat Ohio State or can do to beat the Buckeyes offense? Well, I mean, I think you've got to talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. and how are we going to defend him? Are we going to roll a safety on him? What are we going to do there? I think we have to get a pass rush without blitzing, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, they're going to see that film from Maryland and see where they can pick us apart. So I think the four guys up front are going to have to get some pressure on McCord. That's what I'm looking for, man, on defense at least, for starters. yeah. And and one of the things you can look at is that Ohio State gave up nine tackles for a loss in the Penn State game. I think Michigan's linebackers are going to be tested not only by Ohio State's running backs, who will also leak out of the flats, but Stover at tight end has made some big plays for them this season. And, of course, we have an adjustment in, in the coaching staff at linebackers with Jesse Minter's dad, Rick Minter, who has been a collegiate head coach um, at multiple places. This isn't, you know, taking dad out of the stands. No, he's, he's been a decades-old coach and served as a, an analyst for Michigan, so he's been a part of the season all throughout. Awesome. And yeah. defensively, here's the thing that's going to surprise a lot of listeners. I think Ohio State's defense is actually better than Ohio State's offense. Michigan and Ohio State rank one and two in the nation in terms of scoring. They're each up there in the top five when it comes to defending against the pass, total defense and yardage. The Buckeyes giving up only three more points than Michigan on the year. And when they hired Jim Knowles, their defensive coordinator, and his pressure defense, it took his previous teams that he's been on. I've followed his coaching coaching resume throughout, and it's kind of the same thing. It takes a year 
for his defenses to catch up to what he's trying to do with them. And, of course, they continued to give up big plays through 2022 under that first season. The Michigan T-shirt has a roadmap for that, actually. But this year, it's a different story. The Buckeyes haven't given up big plays at all during the season, and it's now been six consecutive games where Ohio State hasn't allowed a rushing touchdown. They've given up only three on the season. The most points that they've given up in a single game, this might be kind of a surprise, may not be, 17, and it was done by Maryland. Hmm. You there know, you go. and then yeah. Maryland shot itself in the foot with a pick six in the first half. They got Ohio State right back into that game. Individualized, they have good edge rushers. JT Tuimoloau can be kind of a quiet guy, but he's also been known to absolutely take over at certain points in games, whether he's forcing turnovers, recovering turnovers, strip sacking, intercepting. He can decide to just take over. Tommy Eichenberg leads the linebacking unit. He's a playmaker as well. As, as Certainly Cody Simon and Steel Chambers are very good. In the backfield, Denzel Burke is their guy. Sonny Styles is a sophomore who's really rising up. And uh, Latham Ransom was lost uh, for the rest of the year due to an injury. Their secondary is one of the top-ranked units in the nation at allowing 150 passing yards per game. With all that said, Greg, again, I'm going to ask you broadly, what would Michigan do or can do to break this defense? Well, I'm concerned about the edge rushers because it seems like we've had trouble with that in the last couple games, and it's only going to get tougher. I mean, Penn State was fantastic, but I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to have to have more of a complementary you know, output between passing and running and mix it up, and we're going to have to see J.J. throw the ball down the field and probably use his legs like he stopped doing basically a couple games ago. We're going to have to see a lot, and we're going to have to get more of that efficiency. I hope the home you know, atmosphere, the sight lines for J.J., I hope he's healthy. He's going to have to have a huge game, Steve. I think that's what it comes he's down to He's going to have to rise to the challenge. Hopefully yeah. he's healthy enough to move those chains. Those two consecutive passes at Maryland were both just thrown short. I, I saw what he was trying to do. Yeah, He was trying to hit his guy in the back of the end zone, but he didn't throw it high enough. And that's why the first ball was deflected and the second ball was intercepted. That ball needed to be a bit higher. I can't tell you about the fundamentals that led to that or whether it just misjudged it, but that part of the equation. The offensive line, as you say, have to has a Joe Moore award type of game. The run game must materialize and they must pass protect. I've been told that Ladarius Henderson should be able to play next week at left tackle. Mm which would be good news, but there are still issues on the right side of that line. And it's kind of hasn't been easy lately for Blake Corum in short-yarded situations, whether it's at the goal line or in the middle of the field. A third and two you think would be automatic. It hasn't exactly been automatic. For Ohio State, they don't even try. They just do jet sweeps around the end or, or, or pass the ball. They're not interested in, in kind of running up the gut anymore, especially with Mayan Williams not around for the rest of the year. And then the other thing I think is key is having a healthy Roman Wilson back. Because other than Colson Loveland, where are the receiving contributions on this team other than the occasional pass reception? I think having Roman Wilson makes a defense concentrate at least on him and allows Michigan offense to feel like they're getting honest play by the defense, but certainly wasn't getting it with Maryland towards the end of the game and where we didn't seem like to be much of a passing threat other than Colson Loveland. Yeah, and we talked about the big-picture stage for the coaches and the programs. The fact is the Heisman Trophy winner has come out of this game. This is a super high-profile game of two, you know, in the past, of course. 
the two undefeated teams, the eyes of the nation are going to be watching a huge performance by, say, Marvin Harrison Jr. or hopefully a J.J. or even a Blake with scoring more and having a huge game could put one of those guys right in the front of the Heisman race. So here's my theory on last year's game, Greg, and I may have mentioned this before on another podcast. So don't stop me if I say it again, because maybe some other people didn't hear it. <laughs> but, you know, in 2021, it was all about Michigan's physical brutality against Ohio State, and Ohio State was soft, and Michigan could run all day on Ohio State. That was the narrative that Ryan Day wanted to stop in 2022. And I think in that game in Columbus, not only did Ryan Day want to shut that language up, he wanted to not only just win the game, but to absolutely beat Michigan at its own game. And I think that's why Ohio State tried to run the ball more than they usually do, because I think they wanted to show that they could run the ball better than Michigan can. And I think ego got in the way about shutting down Michigan's run game so badly that there would be no argument who the tougher team is on both sides of the ball. And in doing so, was too over-aggressive, and there were too many play busts in the secondary. And J.J. and C.J. took care of that. And all the other big plays that Michigan hit came from an over-aggressive defense that was committed to stopping the run and holding in the negative yards at all costs. This year, Jim Knowles has learned about that. He's not given up big plays at all this year to any team. Hmm. And I think maybe they're just going to try to play them a little more straight up and see what happens in the game. And I don't know if it will work for them, but I think that's just one of those things that came up. I like your theory. Yeah, I'm with it. Cool. Yeah. Um, don't forget I, Donovan, too, breaking through there. But yep, yeah. Yep, yep. And, and, but it's all predicated on, on selling out. It was cover zero. There's no safeties. We're yep. going to stop. And they got through the first wall, and there was no second or third wall to get through. And what hurt them it was kind of working for a little bit, kind of. And we got him, you know, yeah. in the second half. So too late. Got him yep. right where we wanted him. <laughs> right. Man. And then the other thing I just got to mention was, look, a few people are down and a little nervous about how Michigan's playing right now. And I just want to remind people that in 2018, right before the game, Ohio State went to College Park to play Maryland. And look what happened there. In 2018, Ohio State beat Maryland by a score of 52 to 51 in overtime in which Maryland had an open receiver Wide on open. a two-point play and didn't complete the ball. Otherwise, Michigan would have won the Big Ten in 2018 without even having to play Ohio right. State. Instead, Ohio State, everybody's looking down. With it, you know, They couldn't even beat Maryland and shouldn't have beaten Maryland. There's no way Ohio State could win. And Ohio State blew the doors off of Michigan in Columbus five years ago. Two memories, so... The guy was open from like me to Steve in the end zone, wide open, just had to hit him, figured if he threw it one way or the other, just completely missed the guy to win the game. I also remember the refrain from the Michigan fans who were like, good, I'm glad they won. I want to beat them. You know, <laughs> I want to beat them on these terms. And I'm like, I, I don't. One of them. I don't. <laughs> can we can we just get to the championship game and then I want to beat them to to earn our spot? No, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take the automatic uh, bid into the championship. You want to game. talk about the superstition? I was like the way that Maryland lost that game when it was right there, and again, it would have given Michigan the Big Ten. I just felt it's like, man, that's the way things are going for Michigan to be that close and not be able to come out on top, not get a little bit of help. Eventually, Michigan was able to overcome all of those mental blocks and win in 2021 and win in 22. And here we are, Michigan looking for a three-peat. And yeah. the week got started off pretty well 
with Aiden Hutchinson stripping the ball from Justin Fields to complete the Lions' comeback over the Chicago Bears Sunday afternoon. And then scooping it up and punting it about 17 rows, which isn't far. <laughs> I think it was he shanked it a little bit. Punting the Bears' ball into the crowd. What a nice souvenir. And speaking of a souvenir, our man Blake Corm did it again, Steve, using NIL money to deliver turkeys the morning after getting back home from Maryland when those guys have plenty of other things to do, delivering, what, 600 turkeys? 600 turkey dinners to residents in Ypsilanti on Sunday morning. Unbelievable. What a dude. He did, as I mentioned here, spoke in my NIL class and actually talked about that being part of his mission to give back. But there he's doing it. Yes, there are cameras there, but I'm glad there are cameras there so people can see it. And what a fine young man. I, I just uh, can't say enough about him. What a nice thing. And what nice karma. He's doing it three years in a row. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe it's not Frazier's after all, Steve. It's, it's an right. act of goodwill yes. of someone delivering Thanksgiving turkeys for people who need that. I, I dare Ohio State and Michigan State people to ridicule that. Quorum delivering turkeys to the Ypsilanti community. And I hope he delivers the biggest frozen turkey, Ryan Day, back to Columbus <laughs> this Saturday. Greg, Michigan's back-to-back Big Ten champs and looking for a three-peat. Unbelievable. Go Go Blue. Blue!